Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hi, this is Stu Hodem with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? Beginning its 10th year as the exclusive U.S. media home of the Premier League, NBC Sports welcomed a new lead play-by-play commentator, Peter Drury, who has been a match caller since the league's inception in 1992, including the past 18 years as the voice of the Premier League's world feed. He replaces Arlo White, who joined the Live Golf International Series. Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso are back, as are studio hosts Rebecca Lowe and studio analysts Robbie Earle, Robbie Musto, Tim Howard, and Danny Higginbotham. NBC's Premier League coordinating producer Pierre Moussa looks forward to the start of his network's extension with the league, which was announced last November. All of us here at NBC are thrilled to continue our partnership with the Premier League for another six seasons. Our entire team considers an honor and privilege to be ambassadors for the Premier League. Uh, Rebecca, the two Robbies, Tim, Lee, Graham are all back and have a very special connection with our audience. And we really feel it's a special time for soccer in the United States, uh, especially for the Premier League. We've, we've been a part of this since 2013. We've seen families and young kids now become college-age kids, and those college-age kids are now watching Premier League with their fans, we've seen, with, their, with, their, with their friends. We've seen college-age kids now become adults and start watching the Premier League with their family. And as we enter our 10th season, we look to grow the Premier League for generations to come. But there is one new addition to our team, our big off-season transfer, and that's Peter Drury. Uh, Peter is the soundtrack uh, for millions of Premier League viewers around the world. Uh, He's called some of the most iconic moments in the Premier League history. We're so excited that he'll be now the narrator of the Premier League for future generations of American supporters. Drury, who called Champions League games on CBS, also will call World Cup matches this fall for the seventh consecutive cycle, handling the world feed. He's excited to join NBC's strong foundation. In a sense, I'm looking forward to the continuity because uh, calling Premier League games is, is what I've done and is a part of the rhythm of my life and and nothing is changing, but I'm, I'm in a very fortunate position because whilst continuing to do uh, what I do do, um, I'm being freshened up, and, and that is a really great professional challenge. We all need freshening up from time to time. Um, I'm having to think seriously about um, a new audience, not that seriously, to be honest, because it's just another football audience, um, and I, I'm excited because <laughs> I'm joining a winning team. Um, uh, you know, my, my, my biggest concern is that I'm the new boy in a winning team. And, you know, they, they, they've done all right without me. Uh, and now I come in and um, I, I know that a lot of trust has been put in me uh, and I've got to live up to that trust. But, you know, th- those are the things that get you out of bed in the morning. Um, and let me tell you, um, adrenaline is pumping through my veins right now. 
Musa recalls the origin story of Ted Lasso as a promo, while Lowe notes how the Apple TV Plus show, about to start its third season, made her job more relevant to her American peers. When we got the rights to the Premier League in 2013, I think we all know the general um, perception of the American soccer fan. And um, uh, it wasn't an accurate perception, but it was the perception. And um, the genesis of Ted Lasso was to have a little bit of fun, poke a little bit of fun at ourselves, and almost at the same time create awareness about the Premier League. And uh, the gentleman who, who created it is a guy named Bill Bergefin, and he took that and really ran with it. And it became something that ultimately set the tone for our coverage in some, so many different ways. Um, I got a bunch of phone calls from colleagues over in England, Sky, and they said they were belly laughing watching it. And it was, it was a great way to establish how much fun we were going to have with the Premier League and also at the same time poke a little fun at ourselves. And it, it's been so awesome to see how it's had such a great impact on things. You may or may not see um, our colleagues on, on upcoming episodes. Um, so with regards to our plans, there's always different plans. Um, so those are still to come. But generally speaking, I think it was such a great, for lack of a better term, anthem as we established our, our intent and the way we were going to approach and cover the Premier League. It's so interesting to me because I have a, a kind of group of school mums, if you like, who don't have any interest in soccer other than their kid who plays it, but they all watch Ted Lasso. So suddenly they actually know what I do for a living. They're like, oh my goodness, that's the game that you go to. And that, to be honest, it, if anything can help us spread the word about this beautiful game and spread our coverage, We'll, you know, we'll take it. We work our backsides off to do it ourselves. But Ted Lasso, not only are we so proud of it being something that we began all those years ago, as Pierre said, and did it a couple of times that all went viral, which obviously led to the TV show. We're so proud that we were linked to that. Um, and then if, if its effect has been that it's then helped us to spread the word for our show and for our product, it's, it's only been a brilliant thing. And I, I, overall, I think we're just all really, really proud of it. Former U.S. and Premier League goalkeeper Howard explains how NBC has grown the series, and Lowe discusses the consistency and joy the network brings to an American audience. It's groundbreaking in the sense that for all the matches to be available, you know, I'm 43 years old, and I started off as a little kid uh, in New Jersey playing soccer. By the time I was 23, I signed for Manchester United. I I can count on one hand how many games I saw live on television. You know, let that sink in. And... Our coverage, it was not only groundbreaking, but it was just, it was so captivating to an audience. I go back to the last question with Ted Lasso. We consume soccer or football in America differently. We just do. And for so many years, it's been talked about and laughed at. We consume it differently. You know, the way we learn about the game now uh, at NBC, we teach the game, we show the game. But before that, I had friends in the NBA, I still do. And in the NFL, they play a video game jump on a plane in the offseason they go to Chelsea to watch football matches so that's how we grow the game in America and when we look at our coverage people get up at all hours of the morning to watch us whether it be at Fan Fest at 3 a.m. in the morning or every single Saturday and Sunday at 4 o'clock in the morning 7 o'clock in the morning it's become our niche it's become our thing it's very American and we do it in the right way and when I look at it I'm incredibly proud to be a part of that. I think just following on from what Tim said, I think the difference between now and maybe 10 years ago is it doesn't feel niche anymore. It doesn't feel like this kind of exclusive 
little elitist soccer-loving club. This is mainstream now. And for many, many decades, we all know that America has been saying soccer is coming, soccer is coming. Soccer is now here. There is no doubt about it. And I do think that our coverage and the comprehensive nature to it, the reliability of it every single week, pretty much same place, same time, same people, same thorough approach to it, has really given people consistency. And that's what humans, humans love consistency. We love a routine. And to give people a routine for nine months of the year against very little competition, let's be honest, from other sports, which is why it's so wonderful, on a Saturday and a Sunday morning, where if you have kids, you're like, what are we going to do this morning? The football's on. Brilliant. Let's watch the football. And bond these families together. This is, it's almost never been done before. And over the last 10 years, I really believe that NBC's coverage has taken this game to a place nobody thought it would ever go to. Um, and there's no doubt about it now. It is thoroughly mainstream and it is a huge part of people's lives. And I've mentioned this many times that when I moved over in 2013, the odd, the odd football shirt, maybe in a park, maybe in an airport. Now, I would say going about my daily life here in Northern California, I see Premier League shirts on a daily basis. It, to walk, a, a little Man City fan just walked into Starbucks where I was sitting. It happens all the time. And that's NBC's approach, its ethic, its belief, um, and just understanding how big this game can be and putting everything they had into it. That's what we've done, and it's reaping the rewards for NBC, but for the country in general, because this, this game gives so much joy to so many who I'm not even sure realized it was out there 10, 10 years ago. Now, I feel like we're kind of giving so much joy to so many people. In addition to the impact of Ted Lasso, Musa credits FanFest for creating a connection in the States. He says to stay tuned for more FanFests to come this season. We do have some plans um, about some FanFests. We haven't announced the date yet publicly, but I, I can kind of give you a, a, a exciting that we, we are really looking at many different places, and I think people will be very excited about those FanFests. So I think it's um, uh, we know how special the FanFests are. We know how it creates such a match day atmosphere and the excitement around it, and especially when we had, you know, we had done Philadelphia and we had created Philadelphia Fan Fest and we were fortunate, unfortunate the pandemic hit at that time. But um, there was such excitement and passion in the Philadelphia area. So we'd be crazy not to return there. And we have promised that we'd return there. So um, stay tuned. There will obviously be a lot more um, information to come. And, and we really do feel with what makes the special fan fest so special and the genesis of it was that, you know, one of the things we're sitting around, we were saying, hey, listen, you know, if we could only take every single Premier League fan over to England and let them experience it once, let them experience that atmosphere. I mean, Peter went to the Watford game, and I know they're not the Premier League anymore, but just that experience is so amazing. And if we could, if we could take every Premier League fan over there and they could experience it, we know they'd be hooked. And so we're sitting around and we're saying to ourselves, well, why don't we bring the, the fan fest? Why don't we bring the match day experience back to the United States? And so with that, um, we, cre you know, we, we created the fan fest to create a match day experience and really celebrate the U.S. Premier League fans and create that communal experience. So for us, it's, it's, really, um, it's really a great opportunity. And the Philadelphia fan base is, is unreal. So um, – uh, I'm dancing around the answer to the question, but I, I think that everybody will be pleased once, once they hear about our plans in the fall and, 
and we really do believe the fan fest are special. When the World Cup starts on November 21st, Premier League will have a break until the day after Christmas. Drury, Howard, Lowe, and Musa discuss the pros, cons, and a restart right before the new year. I would say there are pros and cons. Um, I, I think the great pro from our point of view is that we get uh, two cracks at launching it. Um, I, I think there's going to be a, a great sense after Christmas on Boxing Day of uh, a rebirth of the same season, picking up where we left off, uh, picking up the, the sort of the, the tail end of the stories that we left behind for the World Cup. I think it helps us enormously, too, that uh, England get to play the USA in Qatar, which will provide um, months, these next three or four months of, of fun for us, uh, particularly English people broadcasting in the United States. Um, and th there will be a dialogue around the many, many players in the Premier League who are, at this point, going to play in the World Cup and from December will have played in the World Cup. It, it, it provides um, a fresh narrative either side of that competition. Um, I suppose if you're looking for, for cons, the, the natural one is going to be player fatigue. Uh, it, it would not be unnatural for, um, for the top stars, uh, having played a, an intense autumn program and then the World Cup, to feel a bit weary by the time they reach January. Um, I, I was doing some homework today ahead of the Chelsea-Everton game uh, on Saturday, and uh, I read somewhere that Chelsea played 18 games up to the middle of November last season, and this season they will have played 23 before the World Cup, and that's as a result of the fact that, of course, the Champions League has to squeeze in all six of its weeks uh, much, much earlier. The, the cup competitions have to be around ahead of themselves and so on. So um, I guess player welfare would be the biggest worry. But for those of us who are the storytellers, uh, I think the storylines around and either side of the World Cup are going to be compelling. Ben, you want to go? Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Um, the thing I'm looking for, what, what interests me the most uh, around the World Cup break is, is this. The, the challenges that managers face are going to be incredible regarding how they rest players, right? Because World Cup fatigue, as Peter talked about, is a real thing. I had managers say it to me, and I scoffed at it, and I hated it. I always wanted to play. And both seasons after the World Cup that I, World Cups I played in, I had terrible seasons. So it's a real thing. It's just the World Cup is such a high for any footballer that it drains you mentally and emotionally, which is fine when it happens in the summer because you can ease you back in the preseason. Arsene Wenger did it with Van Persie. He was a, he was a big believer that World Cup hangovers were real. So we kind of slowed Van Persie back into the starting lineup. So what? He missed a couple games in August or September. You're going to bring these players back now at the start of the second half of the season there's going to be title races on. There's going to be relegation races on, top four, et cetera. So how do these managers manage World Cup fatigue, which we obviously know is a very real thing? They may not have the luxury of resting the players as they would coming out of preseason. So um, that, that part will be interesting. I spoke to Frank Lampard, uh, the Everton manager this summer, about how he's going to manage the, the players who don't go away. You know, it, it is likely to give them a couple weeks off. Um, after after having a few games and then get back to training. So I would imagine most managers will handle it similarly in terms of the break, but how do they manage the big players who particularly go into the late rounds in the World Cup? 
I think there's so many ways of looking at it. On, on the whole, I'm excited for it in terms of more pros and cons. However, if you're a Premier League manager, I don't whether you're Thomas Tuchel or Frank Lampard, your, your chances of being fired after in mid-November, I think, are higher than they were if there was no World Cup. So the the, the number of firings, I think, will increase. It'll be like a mini-season um, because there'll be some panics, big panics by owners. Um, they'll they'll know they have the six weeks to change manager. The other problem they've got is that not every player is going. So you're going to have a whole, not loads, but a significant number of players, especially young players, who are going to have to try and keep their fitness up over that six weeks, which is really going to be challenging. I know that they've given them permission to do friendly games, but that's not ideal, is it? But it's something, because when they come back in January, as Peter was saying, the fatigue is going to be a problem for some of these top-level players. They're going to have to use the rest of the squad who haven't played properly, not properly, for six weeks. That's going to be an interesting um, take as well. And I think the fatigue is going to be a factor, but the only way I look at it, because as Peter was saying, the story, I mean, there's going to be, we think there are storylines every week in the Premier League. With the World Cup, there's going to be a ton more going into it and coming out of it. There's going to be all sorts of controversy, all sorts of um, brilliant narratives. But one of them coming out, if the fatigue hits uh, you know, some of the top, top players, I wonder whether it will slightly alter the gap between the big six and the rest. Because if, they, if, if Harry Kane spent and he just can't get to the levels he got through before the World Cup, which is completely understandable... I wonder if those middle-ranking teams, maybe the likes of Villa, um, I mean, who knows, really, West Ham, maybe those kind of teams are going to be able to take advantage of the fatigue, which will then make the second half of the season fascinating. I, I don't want this every four years, so I'm delighted it won't be. But for this one-off particular season, I find it, I find it mainly positive. And Pierre? I'll speak to it from a from a broadcasting challenge, and I think that there's a lot of pros and, and cons. Um, I would say the pros are, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and the awareness around the World Cup, the passion around the World Cup, you know, the soccer fan around the World Cup will really create a lot of energy and excitement. And then for us, we're going to really, really, really focus on that that second restart, Boxing Day, and we have some very exciting production plans around that. And Boxing Day will be a very special day, and you know, it's it's a a big tradition and it's something that we're going to really get people back into the festive pictures. So that to me is, is the, is really the, the pros around. And I think the challenge is obviously starting a season and stopping again. There's always a little bit of momentum you get going that you have to pick up again, which is goes back to my original point of the, the real focus and the emphasis around boxing day being the second restart of the season. Before we go, let's preview another top-level European league that's kicked off. ESPN Bundesliga lead play-by-play commentator Derek Ray shares the top five storylines in Germany's top division. So five things to know about this Bundesliga season. A, B, C, D, E. A is for atmosphere. Football as it's meant to be. Full crowds from the word go. B is for Bayern, the Hakardmeister. Ten titles in a row. Robert Lewandowski has left. Sadio Mane has arrived and a host of other top signings, including Matthijs de Ligt. I think Bayern might be even more dynamic and more variable than they were before. C is for coaches. Seven new ones in the Bundesliga, including Daniel Farke. Can he make an impact at Borussia Mönchengladbach? D is for Dortmund. How are they going to fare? 
Can Borussia Dortmund chase down Bayern? No Erling Haaland, but Igor Schlotterbeck, Niklas Süle have joined. The defence should be altogether tighter. And E is for Eintracht Frankfurt, the Europa League winners. Breath of fresh air last season, and they host Bayern in the big opener, das Eröffnungsspiel, on Friday night. Thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes and find us wherever you get podcasts, including Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M as in Mary. Stay tuned and stay safe. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.